all week in the, uh, in the office, you know, Jenna is our, our director of operations who's on the, on the keyboard, and so all week she's been listening to that song, Deep Cries Out to Deep, you know, it's just all every day. Is, that's a powerful song, is it not? Powerful song. The, the part two about, we can't have a better anthem. As, as followers of Christ. Talks about when he goes to the left, we go to the left. He goes to the right, we go to the right. It's this idea of wherever you go, God, I'm gonna follow you, right? Whatever he says, I say, yes, sir. That's our only response to him. Just life-defining moment-by-moment governing walk with him. And so we're in this series, The Circle Maker. We're gonna be in it for a couple of more weeks. Next week, uh, Pastor Rob Shepard, who pastors uh, Next Level Church that meets here at the Mosaic on Sunday afternoons, he's gonna be coming in and uh, doing both campuses for us. We've never had an opportunity to have him in before, so we're excited about the relationship that we have and just the partnership of all the churches here uh, at the Mosaic. And so we're going to we're continue on in Acts chapter two tonight, and then the first weekend after Thanksgiving, we're gonna wrap up the Circle Maker series, and then we're going to launch into a Christmas series uh, that second weekend in December. So the verse that we've kind of grabbed a hold of to anchor us in the series is 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, and the King James, it says, pray without ceasing. In the New Living Translation, it's never stop praying. And we've been talking about how in this series that, that it's not as though when you make a vow of devotion to Christ that you're supposed to start a prayer that never stops. It's, it's, Paul's trying to communicate to us this idea is that prayer is just something that we keep coming back to. That, that prayer is never something that we check off of our list, right? And you can say that about Scripture. Never stop reading the Bible. You can say that about all the 12 pathways that we teach about here at the City Life Church. Never stop being accountable to people. Never stop serving. You with me? There's this idea that as devoted followers of Christ, there's things that we just keep coming back to throughout our entire life, and prayer is most certainly one of them. This has been a what is series, not so much a how-to series. We're firm believers. If you don't know what it is, then when you step into the how-to, it's not very productive. And so we've been talking about about what is prayer, the nature of prayer. So we've been talking about how you have to have a heart that loves, a heart that commands, a heart that believes, and we've talked about how prayer is more about seeing than it is about speaking, and then last week and over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna be digging deeper into Acts chapter two because everything that happened in Acts chapter two was born out of clearly a sovereign move of God, but there was a place of prayer that the people were in that was, has a causal relationship that everything that happened. And so we got into that last week. We're not gonna retell all of that this week. I do wanna reread the text, but if you weren't here, you can get that off of our podcast and we'll have the notes online soon. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. I'm going to go down to 13. It says, on the day of Pentecost, that was one of the feasts, it's Penta means 50, it's the feast that took place 50 days after the feast of Passover, which was when Jesus had, had, had given his life for the sins of the world. The Bible tells us that he appeared to people for 40 days, post-resurrection experiences, so we know that there were 10 days that they were in the upper room, about 120 people, that they were gathered in, in a place of prayer and worship and celebration. They had church for 10 straight days, and then the day of Pentecost comes all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. That's where we're going to pick up, again, not next week when Pastor Rob's here, but the week after that, we're going to do a message on spiritual language. It says, and the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. And at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. Now, this is important here. There's a distinction made, as we introduced last week, between the devout and the others in the crowd. So this is about the devout, what they heard, what they saw. The devout Jews from every nation were living in Jerusalem, and when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. 
They were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and the other areas of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. It wasn't as though that they just heard the language. It was, leg- it was legible to them. Does that make sense? They heard them speaking in their language. They understood what was being said. And what was being said were declarations and praises to God. Now, now the text shifts. It gives us some commentary on other people in the crowd. These are the people that were not devout. These are the people that are just in the crowd. Others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying they're just drunk, that's all. And so here gives us this text. We told the story last week. Let's actually do some giveaways. We haven't done some giveaways in a while. Let's do a little of those. You ready? All right. So who can tell me who Utan is? Anybody in this front section? Who can tell me who Utan is? Yes, he's the biggest crocodile. Yes, you were here? Yes, the last week you told this great story. You can clap for her, come on. It's the biggest, biggest crocodile in captivity. We're not going to retell the story, but Vanessa thought it was fake, and she's poking at the fence, and she's laughing. She thinks it's a statue, and then we get to a pre, uh, presentation later that day at the park, and the person starts talking about the live alligator, you know, all the color leaves Vanessa's face. That Oh, no, I could have lost my whole arm. By, you know, she had her arm all the way in the cage, poking this thing that she thought was a statue. So we use that as an illustration to say that's how we read the Bible, right? We read these incredible stories and we say there's no way that that could be real. So it's like we're reaching into the Bible and we're poking it and saying, you know, there's some of us that say, I hope this is alive. And there, there are others that say, I, I'm afraid that it just might be because we understand the implications to our life. All right, so I got I to dig sporting goods. Any, anybody remember, how about in the youth section over here? Anybody remember how long Utan was? How many feet? 20. Not 20. 21. No, not 21, Judah. 18, nice, all right, come on, come on, come on. And how about maybe somebody in the, in, the, in the back corner over here, how much did he weigh? He weighed more than, anybody in this back corner over here? No, no takers? I see a hand, I see a hand. How much? Yeah, 2,000 pounds, nice, come on, nice. Don't let your parents take that from you, I know, see? Tara was like, I'll pass it to her. Yeah, sure. We're a church that when we open this book, we say, God, come on, let it be for me in my lifetime and my generation. We're a church that believes when we, when, we, when we open this book that these stories are not given to us to taunt us about what we can't have because we were born in the wrong generation. We believe that God has given us the Holy Scriptures to tell us who he is to create an appetite and a hunger and a desire inside of us that says, God, be it unto me as I read on the pages of this book. This book tells us that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging, and we want to see him move in our world and in our lifetime in the same way that he moved in the book of Acts. It says that people stood in awe of the revelation of God that was released into the world 2,000 years ago. We want to be a part of a generation that causes the world to stand in awe again because of the power of God at work. All right, come on. I'm going to get off my notes here. So, When we step into moments of being together in prayer, reaching through the fence, 
and saying this is real, I'm telling you something happens to us. And something happens to us. There's, there are streams of teaching in theological schools that, that try to tell us that, that the narrative portions of Scripture are not for instruction, they're just given to us for historical context, but we don't believe that. We believe that the narrative portions of Scripture are deeply instructive. We believe that the narrative portions of Scripture, the stories of Scripture, give us doctrine, give us teaching. Cord, I don't think Cord's here tonight. He's in the uh, Wave School of Leadership, and he's got some theology classes, and a friend of mine teaches one of those classes, and so I had lunch with Cord recently. I said, Cord, in his class, I want you to raise your hand, and and, and this is what I want you to say. Write it down. Say, Professor, do do you believe that the narrative portions of Scripture are just as instructive for doctrine as the didactic portions of texts. So you memorize that chord, right? And raise your hand, and you will impress your teacher, right? I'm helping you out. So a few days later, I, I saw chord at church. I said, did you ask the question? He said, oh yeah. I was the teacher's pet for a whole day, right? Professors love to get right that kind of, the didactic portions of, 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 of the text are the texts that are, that, are, that are self-evident in their instruction, right? Believe this, don't believe that. Do this, don't do that. There's a lot of that in the Bible. But the Bible is also filled with stories, and those stories give us truths to live by. And so what we're doing with the book of Acts, we could do a series all year on, on, on the book of Acts. And, and so we're, we're taking chapter two, and we're asking the question, how did prayer relate to the move of God that happened? And what we believe, because we see it in the text. We, we see it in the story, so it's instructive to us that they were together in a place of prayer and everything else flowed out of that. And so we're saying when we as a church step into a place of togetherness in a place of prayer, we have the same expectation that similar things can happen. Are you with me? And so last week, we, we did a message just on this one point, that together prayer awakens the devout. We don't wanna just be the others in the crowd. We want to be the devout. We want to be the ones that say, when he goes to the right, I go to the right. When he goes to the left, I go to the left. I'm surrendered to him in every area of my life. Together prayer awakens the devout to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to get through, I think, two more, two more tonight, and then we'll pick up with the last one. I'll introduce it to you, but we'll do that the the, uh, first weekend in December. So together prayer prepares the devout to operate under the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're a note taker, you want to write that down. Together prayer prepares the devout to operate under the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we read about these 120 people that were in the upper room, they were in this place of prayer, they were in this place of worship, they were in this place of celebrating the goodness of God, and in that place they were awakened in a new way to the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then what we find is they begin to operate. They begin to do things that were beyond their natural ability. They begin to step into a place of functioning in this world, in this temporal realm, empowered by the Holy Spirit, doing things that were otherworldly. There is a difference between God revealing himself through me supernaturally in a moment contrasted with God equipping me to work for him continually. Let me say that again. There is a difference between God revealing himself through me supernaturally in a moment contrasted with God equipping me to work for him continually. So I want to talk a little bit about spiritual gifts and what we believe about spiritual gifts as a church. Different churches believe different things about spiritual gifts. And I'm not telling you who's right and who's wrong. I'm just telling you what we believe. Any church that says they figured it all out, you should leave there tomorrow, right? Because arrogance never ends well, 
right? So we're going to there's, there's going to be times where we're going to say we don't know the answer to that question. There, there's, there's parts of the Bible that, that, that are elusive. There's parts of Scripture that, 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 that are... This book is the revelation of the divine that we and our humanity are trying to understand. There's always going to be parts of it that are beyond us, even with Holy Spirit supernatural revelation. We're never going to get it all. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, right? There's, there's some that will always be a mystery. And so, but also I think we tend to overcomplicate some things sometimes. And so I'm hoping that tonight we're going to bring a little bit of clarity and a little bit of understanding to this idea of spiritual gifts. Now, Eric Reese has a book that I'm a big fan of. It's entitled Shape, and it's a great book that if you've never done any studying about how God has shaped you to function and operate in the body of Christ in the local church. Spiritual gifts, heart's desire, natural abilities, your personality, and your life experiences all go to give you a shape, and he works off the principle that function follows form. And we, we believe that you have a shape. I have a shape. When, when you made a vow of devotion to Christ, there were gifts that God deposited in you. There were spiritual gifts. You, were, you're, you're, you and I are spiritually dead. Before we take our first spiritual breath, we make a vow of devotion to Christ. But in that moment that we make a vow of devotion to Christ and the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of us, there are gifts that he brings with him that he deposits into me that are intended to equip me and empower me to fulfill my destiny and my calling. Those things are not there before Christ comes. Now, how do you know if you're moving in your spiritual gift? I think these three words help me know. If you find fulfillment in what you're doing. When you're operating in your spiritual, when you are doing the things that God put you on this earth to do, there is a deep sense of fulfillment that's inside of you. There's this moment where you go, I, think, I, I know. I know that God put me here to do these things. There's going to be fruit. If you think maybe God's called you to work with children, but at the end of the children's service, all of them are running away crying, and the families are leaving the church saying, if that volunteer is in there next week, we're not coming back here again, right? That's not the fruit you're looking for to know whether or not you're moving and you're gifting, right? If there were to be a microphone in front of me when I'm singing, there would be no fruit that would be edifying to the body of Christ, right? You, you, you might find fulfillment in it, but if there's no fruit that comes from it, does that make sense? You gotta have all of these. And this last one's important, you're going to have fans. It can't just be you thinking there's fruit. It can't just be you thinking it's good. It can't just be you thinking that this, other people should be observing you and affirming you in this thing. Other people should be looking at you and saying, wow, I think this is part of why you're here. I think this is part of what you're supposed to do with your life. Other people. It doesn't mean that it's at a place of, of being an expert from day one, but it should, it should at least have crossed the threshold of being self-evident to the people around you. As we're reading through the Bible in the year we've been in Acts these, these last couple of weeks, and, and I, it, it always catches me off guard when it comes to the part where it talks about Paul and his preaching, and it, and it, and it makes this statement that, that it got stronger and stronger. It was getting better and better. Right? Can you imagine the Apostle Paul ever doing a sermon where people thought, wow, I hope he gets a little bit better at that. You with me? Because we, we, we get the product of what he brings after a lifetime of being in ministry. But when he started out, clearly it had crossed the threshold of being effective, but it was not yet what it was supposed to be. So, so you might feel fulfilled. There might be some fruit. You might even have some fans, but you still might be frustrated because your gift hasn't fully matured. That's okay. You got to have at least these three. 
Now, sometimes our spiritual gifts, it's confusing because they complement our natural abilities. Sometimes our spiritual gift that we're given, that when we make a vow of devotion to Christ, mirrors or complements an ability that we already have, and it can create some confusion. Does that make sense? But I want to be clear, because I believe that the Bible's very clear. The spiritual gift in you does not come until you make a vow of devotion to Christ, because they come when God comes. Are there abilities? Yes, there are. Are there things that you bring with your life experiences? Yes, there are. Are there things that you're passionate about, your heart's desire? Most certainly there are. That's the idea of the H, the A, and the P, and the E. But your shape is not complete until you become a devoted follower of Christ and the Spirit of God comes, brings gifts, and completes who you are so that you can fully function to the measure that you were intended to begin to be more effective in fulfilling your destiny and your calling. Sometimes your spiritual gifts are so opposite from everything else about you that that creates confusion. Sometimes when you make a vow of devotion to Christ that it's so new, it's so not like who you've been, it catches you off guard. We find this with Moses when in his, his, his calling, right? That there, there, there's this place where God says, this is what I've called you to do. And Moses is saying, I can't, this isn't who I am. But that's part of the beauty of this idea of a spiritual gift. God says, no, I, I understand it's not who you are. That's why I'm giving it to you as a gift. I'm going to put something in your life. I, I couldn't, I despised reading my whole life. I made a vow of devotion to Christ, and all of a sudden, early on, just in the first few months, there was an appetite that I, be, I could not read enough. It, it, it was not who I was before. I was a follower growing up. I never really held any time. I wasn't the leader in high school or, or college. None of those things were. I was a follower my whole life. And then I made a, a vow of devotion to Christ. And then all of a sudden, I, I found this leadership thing begin to stir inside of me. It was awkward for me. It was uncomfortable for me because they were things that were never a part of my life before. It wasn't as though even people looked at me and thought they were hidden, uh, untapped potential. You with me? You, sometimes you're around people and you say there's an untapped, but nobody was saying, I think there's an untapped potential leadership in him, right? I'm pretty sure he's going to be a follower for the rest of his life, right? <laughs> but when God comes, he brings all of who he is into your life. We're going to be talking about this in a couple of weeks. When you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which we believe is a separate experience from, from your vow of devotion to Christ, you don't get more of God, God just gets more of you. And, and, and that's what sometimes makes all these gifts possible for them to flow in your life and for them to flow in my life. We got all kinds of words we like to throw around in the church, right? Is it operational? Is it manifestational? Is it motivational? Right? And, and there's a place and a time for those studies, but I just think it overcomplicates things. There's, the idea I think in the end is really simple. I make a vow of devotion to Christ. The Spirit of God comes and lives inside of me. That's a mystery unto itself, no doubt. But when he comes, he brings gifts that he makes a part of who I am that were not there before. And those gifts help me understand who I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do in the church. I think one of the things that I'm supposed to do in the church is to teach and to lead. And if I've got that wrong, then this church is in, in big trouble, right? Right, but, 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 but that's part, I think, of, of who I am. And so there's this idea that there are gifts that he puts in you that are intended to equip you to work for him for the rest of your life. It does not have a season. It's, it's not something, well, I did that then, and now I'm going on to something else. No, it becomes part of who I am. The gift might mature. The gift might get deeper. The gift might get broader. We might discover that maybe there's a few more than we thought, but it begins to define us. It does not change. But there are also times 
where God finds that you are available. And you're in a situation, in a circumstance, where he wants to reveal himself to someone and meet someone's need in a supernatural way that causes that person to say, I'm pretty sure God's real. And he might be looking around and saying, there's joy, let's use her. It might be that you're not a teacher. It, it, it might be that you don't like reading, right? I was talking to people this week and they said if, if the Bible wasn't on audio, they might not really ever spend much time with it. You with me? I get that. I understand that, right? There's, there's things that you enjoy. There's things that you, you don't. So teaching might not be your thing, but you might be on a trip. Let's say Joy, let's say if teaching's not her gift, and she's there on the airplane, and the person next to her asks her a question, the Holy Spirit can bring revelation to her that's beyond her education to bring understanding to the person that's supernatural. It doesn't necessarily mean that now that's her gift. It just means that she's available, and that God used her in a supernatural way. All of us have gifts that define us, that are intended to enable me to work for him continually, but because God is the sovereign creator of the universe, I am always a candidate to be used by him supernaturally in a moment. It might not be that you're called to be a prophet in the church, to, to, to feel God's will in ways that are beyond what, if you know Celeste Agate, she's one of the most prophetic people that I know. And if you've been a part of this church for any amount of time, you know, she was a part of the plant team when this church planted here in January of 2006. And one of my favorite stories is, is when they were looking to buy a house here in, uh, in, in Newport News, she wanted to be within a certain mile's distance from the, the building. We were still meeting in the movie theater over off of Victory, Victory Boulevard in the Kiln Creek Theater. And, and so, so, so Celeste kept asking me, where are we going to move? Because we knew we were going to move that year, right? Where are we going to go? I don't know, Celeste. She's because, you know, I, I'm, we're buying a house. I, I, you know, what, what am I going to do, right? So Celeste, they're looking at houses, and God speaks to her, this is the house. This is the house that you're supposed to buy, right? The, the, coming to the Mosaic wasn't even on the radar. Coming to the Mosaic wasn't even part of our conversation, right? The house that Chandler and Celeste bought is about two blocks that way. You, you with me? She, she, there's a prophetic definer to her as a person. And she's a gift to the body of Christ because of it, right? All of us are supposed to figure out those things about ourselves. And if you don't know those things, then we would love to go on that journey to help you find those things. But even if it doesn't define you, you're a candidate. Never forget the story of Vanessa's sister, Tanya, her and Christoph, the lead pastors at Christian Life Center in Williamsburg, the church that, 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 that planted us back in 2006, that years ago she was at a Starbucks. And, and I think that she would say that, that, that being a prophet is not really her primary gifting and calling that she's given to, to the church, but she was there checking out at the Starbucks and there was somebody there playing live music and God spoke to her in that moment and said, Tanya, go over to that man who's playing the guitar and tell him that I love him. She's like, I'm just here for a latte, God, right? I mean, skinny, no whip, right? Like, so she's a person. When he goes to the left, I go to the left. When he goes to the right, I go to the right. We, we, God says, do this. We say, yes, sir. So she walks over. Says, hi, my name's Tanya, and, and uh, I just, I was there at the register. I know this might sound a little bit strange, right? It's, it's okay to be, you don't have to, we're going to get to, you don't have to be extravagant for it to be supernatural, right? You don't have to talk in the King James, right? Just be normal, be who you are. 
And if you're already a little bit weird, then you might be a little bit weird, but it's not because of God. It's because of your personality, okay? And so, so, so she just walks over and says, and says, I really feel like I'm just supposed to tell you that God loves you. God didn't really respond, right? But she had done her part. She's getting ready to leave, and he follows her outside, weeping with a letter in his hand. This is a true story. Not making anything up. And he said, I, I can't tell you what this means to me today. She said, can I, can I pray with you? And, and he said, yeah, but I, I need you to know what's in this letter. It was a suicide note that he had written that morning. He was going to play his set, and he was going to go home and take his life. Now, does that happen to Tanya every day? No, right? It, it doesn't. Like, that's one of those markers in her life, right? But she was available, and she was a candidate to be used by God in a supernatural way, and their church was able to reach out to their family, and they came into the church, they were able to get him professional help and counseling, and they began their journey as followers of Christ. There is something that God's gonna deposit in you that defines who you are and what you're supposed to do and who you're supposed to be in the body of Christ, but never ever let that cause you to develop an attitude and a mindset that says, I'm not a candidate for other things. As devoted followers of Christ, because the Spirit of God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in us, we are always a candidate to be used by Him supernaturally. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, I'm not going to read those, but you can write that down as a, as, as, a, as a reference. And then the rest of 1 Corinthians 12 goes on to talk about spiritual gifts. Now again, sometimes people make a distinction between what's motivational and what's manifestational and what's operational. I'm saying, you know, all of that, I think, just it muddies the water. It just confuses things. It's just this idea that we are all part of the body. We have a place and a function, and we're all candidates to be used by God supernaturally in moments to reach people in dramatic ways. But the drama should come from God, not from me. So we have a phrase that we use here at the City Lecture. We believe in all the power without the pageantry. So, so, I'm 46, I'm going to be 47 in, in March, and so, so my Christian life, I didn't make a vow of devotion until I was 23, my Christian life kind of was, 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 was kind of in step with, with, with maybe the, the, the blossoming of the charismatic movement. It's called the charismatic movement because when you get in 1 Corinthians 12, when it talks about the gifts of the Spirit, that's the Greek word charisma, which is a joining of two words, which means gifts born out of grace. So churches that believe and move in the operation of these gifts there tend to be called charismatic churches, even though that word has a lot of baggage, and we're trying to do our part as a church to lay some of that baggage down. But there's this idea, I think, sometimes that people say, well, if I'm not extravagant, then it's not going to be effective. If I'm not demonstrative, then it's, then it's not going to have an impact. And what we're saying as a church is, let God be the one who's demonstrative. Let him be the one who's impactful. I can just be myself. Now, now, your personality might lend itself to being expressive. Your personality might lend itself to being a little bit over the top, and we all know who you are. <laughs> and we're not saying to you, don't be who you are. What we're saying is, just be yourself. Just be who you are. If you have something that God has put on your heart to share with someone, when, when, when you're sharing that, it should just feel like you're talking to them as if you ran into them at the grocery store and you're looking for the orange juice. Does that make sense to me? I, it does make sense to me. Does it make sense to you? <laughs> ha. 
I think there's times in our, in our history where, where, where people fall into this trap that I have to act a certain way, sound a certain way, shake a certain way, and, 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 I, and I really just think a lot of that's because that's what they've seen other people do, and so in a lot of ways we're sheep because that's what the Bible calls us, and it's true even in moments like this. We end up just following how other people do it. We're supposed to walk in doing it because of the power of God at work inside of us, but we don't have to change who we are as we operate in those gifts whether it be the gift that we're called to be in or the gift that we're called to move in in the moment. Some of our phrases that we use here at City Life when, when, when there's a prophetic moment happening in the service, you'll hear us th- just say things like, I, I really have a sense tonight that someone might be here, right? Vanessa used that tonight when, when she got up for the, for the wrap-up. You might hear me saying, uh, you know, I really feel like there's someone here, or I hear God saying, I'll use that a lot. I really, I, I hear God saying this to someone tonight. We, we find language that people understand. Talk to people in a way that they can receive from you. It's, it's not about a show. It's about walking in obedience in the moment and connecting with people in a way that they can receive because at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's about the person and it's about what God wants to do in their life. During our services, I, you know, I, we, we joke all the time that, that uh, you know, we, when you watch sporting events, there's commentators, right? There's, there's people in the booth, one's the color and one's the play-by-play, and they're giving commentary. And we've joked that one day we're going to have a booth, right, that, that we're just going to do commentary on the service. Then you can get some headphones, and we can say, okay, this song here, this wasn't part of the set, but we can say, this is the moving of the Holy Spirit, right? Or this was an unscripted, this verse, that prayer. And it might be that you sit in here and think, wow, they must work hour after hour after hour orchestrating all of that. We don't do any of that. But there's a flow to our service because the Holy Spirit is the one that's leading and we're the one that's following. There might be times when you are thinking about the worship set and say that must have, those songs must have been handpicked just for this moment. They were handpicked, but they're handpicked from God. So many times I'm down there and going, they have stolen my notes once again, right? As they've put together this set. It's because there's one God and there's one Spirit and He's just pulling it all together. Baby dedications for us, every time we do a baby dedication during that worship set, I'm praying, God, give me something to speak over this child's life. And he does. Communion moments for our services. There's so many ways in our service that we're always, they're just unscripted, they're unplanned, it's subtle, it's not demonstrative, and probably if there wasn't somebody back there giving a play-by-play, you might miss it so often, but it's happening every week. Just over the last few weeks, even, you know, the, the, the idea of just God speaking some things to us a couple of weeks ago, and we didn't even get to the message, and, and we get excited when those things happen. I get excited when those things happen, but we don't elevate those moments over nights like this. God can move just as supernaturally in the spontaneous as he can in the preparation. God's not a flighty God. He's a planner. In the, in the book of Genesis, when you get to chapter one, there is nothing about the story of creation that lends us to think that God said, oh, I wonder what I'm gonna do today. Let's just do this on day one and see what happens on day two, right? As you read that, you get this sense that this is something that God has been working on for millennia. And he knows what's gonna happen on each day. Who, who reads that and says, well, that's not really that special because it wasn't spontaneous, Right? Who says that about God? Nobody. But we say it about church. I think a lot of times too much, especially in charismatic circles. 
God moves in the spontaneous, and we're going to be a church that moves in the spontaneous. But he also moves in planning and tells us about what he wants to do in advance, and so we're ready to step in in those moments just as well. All of it is sacred. All of it is supernatural. All of it is impactful. Just a couple of weeks ago, you know, I, I would say that one of the things that, that I want to grow in as a leader is, is, is to be a person of faith. That's one of the challenges of people who are given to administration and given to leadership and given to governance is that, is that we see in the realm of the natural. That's part of moving in, in that gift. And I, I know, I've talked to the governance team about it, that one of my things that I've been working on for the last couple of years, my, one of my M548 priorities, I want to be a greater person of faith. I just want to believe for big things beyond the natural. And I know that I've got to, 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 to let that part of me happen. It's not going to become who I am. I get that because that's not my gift to the body of Christ. But when God wants to move in that way through me, I've got to be ready to step up in that. So again, just a couple of weeks ago when we stepped up, you know, and I felt like God gave me a gift of faith to believe for those scholarships for origins. And I, you know, my faith was for about three or four, right? And God said, no, I want you to believe for 10, right? And, and then I think like 11 came in that night. Everybody just was throwing $100 bills around and we were able to send. Come on with me, right? And there's 10 kids that go to Origins because of that moment. We, we want to be a church that says, God, I want to be faithful in the plan that you have given me, but I want to be open to how you would change it up in the moment. I'm yours. Isaiah 53, one through three, let's read that together. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest of grief. He took, he turned We turned our backs on him, and we looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. If you've never read all of Isaiah 53, you should check that out. It's a powerful, prophetic foretelling of the coming of Christ. And if we're not careful, we'll read that and say he was in disguise, right? He was unassuming in disguise. And and we know that there was this part of him that was, he had to mask his divinity so that he could fulfill his purpose. But if we're not not careful, we'll we'll buy into this idea that that because Jesus was, 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 was unassuming, it was just because he was trying to only hide his divinity, and I don't think that's the case. I think part of the reason why Jesus was unassuming, as the prophet tells us, is because he was trying to model for us what life was going to be like for you and for me. Because if we climb to the top of the mountain, hey, the Mount of Transfiguration is not going to happen for us because we're not divine. We're going to be just as human when we get there as when we come down. And I think what Jesus is trying to say to us through the life that he lived and the examples of his ministry is that he was saying to you and to me, it's okay to be unassuming it doesn't affect your ability to be supernatural. Just because you might be unassuming, just because other people might see anything in you, just because other people might not notice the greatness that's inside of you, that doesn't mean that you aren't great. And it doesn't mean that you're not supernatural. And it doesn't mean that God's not going to use you in great ways. I think 
Jesus was unassuming in the, in the natural because he was trying to encourage us to say, I know there are going to be times where you struggle with your humanity, but never forget divinity stirs inside of you, even if the rest of the world doesn't see it. You have been equipped for a great destiny, and you are a candidate to be used by God supernaturally. Together prayer unifies the devout towards the pursuits of the Holy Spirit. Together prayer unifies the devout towards the pursuits of the Holy Spirit. What could happen if people who were of one mind and one voice and one heart were to work together to make God famous and started from a place of being together in prayer? Uh, you know, Juice and, and Stephanie aren't here. They're off a couple of weeks for vacation, and so we're going to, you know, since they're not here to make them, we have the best youth pastors in the world. I'm just telling you. Not in the region, in the world. They're, they're just stellar, stellar, amazing. And he can, can he not teach and preach? Unbelievable. He, he was on the schedule for, for Origins, and uh, the Origins Conference, I'm trying to, to go to that each year and, and uh, connect with the youth a little bit, and, and, uh, and so they have a leadership training track that you can go into, and a good friend of mine, Dennis Lashney, was teaching that. He had a pretty empty room because he went up against Pastor Justin, right? So, so people were asking, where are all the leaders? Why aren't the leaders in the leadership track? They're like, because we're juice groupies, that's why, right? We're on the front row Instagramming and tweeting. An amazing message. Amazing, amazing message. And one of the things he said, right, which is now a part of the phraseology of our church, he said, I want to be so in touch with my calling that I'm out of touch with my comfort zone. And he said, so many of us, we live our lives, we're so in touch with our comfort zone that we're out of touch with our calling. Deep revelation flowing out of this young man's life. And I think this is part of Genesis 11, chapter 1. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. I think it's in this one. Genesis 11. Start reading in verse 1. It says, At one time all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. It's interesting, isn't it? That Genesis 11 is the pairing text to Acts chapter 2. He uses language to bring division. He uses it again to bring unity. At one time, all the people of the world spoke at the same language, used the same words. And as the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. And they began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. They said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky, and they will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down and took a look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. I'm just gonna stop there. It's striking, isn't it? What God said about humanity. Even though their motives were poor, even though they weren't doing anything, relying on the power of God, even though they were doing it to make a name for themselves, God himself, his commentary, said of them, nothing will be impossible. There is nothing that they will not be able to do. Does it not cause you, when you read that story, to ask, well, then what could happen if we were to be in it for his name's sake? 
if we were to be in it for his fame, if we were to do it under his power and with his strength, and if we were to do it empowered by the Holy Spirit for the sake of the gospel and building the kingdom of heaven, what then would God say about us? I'm, I don't know what kind of church you're looking for, but that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. And that's the kind of church I want to pour my life out to be in all the days that I have breath that we believe that when we step into a place of being together in prayer, that we are awakened to the presence of the Holy Spirit, that we are prepared to operate under the power of the Holy Spirit, and that we begin to pursue the things that are in God's heart as the Holy Spirit brings revelation to us. Acts 2.41 says, Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church, not that month, not that year, not during the history of the church, but in that day, about 3,000 in all. Acts chapter 2, Genesis chapter 11. God brought unity to people again, not in a natural way, but in a spiritual way. And then he says to us, let's go change this world together for the namesake of my son. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. This is the one that we're going to get into in a couple of weeks. It's our last one for this series, The Circle Maker. It's going to round out our teaching on Acts chapter 2. It's that together prayer empties the devout to be filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. Larry Kreider, who's a, a great teacher in, in our, our lifetime today, he has a a, a, a teaching series on just basic Christianity. And he talks about how the Bible speaks of four specific baptisms. That there's the, there's the, there's our, our, our water baptism, right? That, that's a uh, outward expression of, of, of an inward experience. There's the, our water baptism, which we do here at City Life. There's, there's also baptism into the church. The Bible uses this phrase, being baptized into the church. That's this idea of membership, entering into a covenant relationship with the church. And then he talks about a baptism of fire, which is, I like to call it redemptive affliction, that God walks us through, no fault to our own, through hardship because something for in our character when we suffer and so there's baptism of fire but then there's this fourth baptism the bible speaks to the being baptized in the holy spirit and so we're going to talk more about that in a couple of weeks if you've got questions about that or you've got maybe you've never even heard about that before i hope that you come back and we're going to talk about how that connects to this idea of spiritual language and in 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 this moment i just i just want to say a couple of things because i feel like this is important we believe in one God who expresses himself in three distinct ways. Scripture speaks of the Father, speaks of Jesus, and speaks of the Holy Spirit. Speaks of them individually, but yet also as one. And ultimately, this is a mystery that's beyond our human comprehension. You don't find the word Trinity in the Bible. We, we concede that. But it's a word that, that Christianity has reached for to help us articulate a belief that we cherish deeply. This is, the way, this is the way I think of it. It just helps me in my humanity. It makes sense to me, as I was saying earlier in the service. Right? I think of God, that he's my maker. That the Father, he's, he's, he's the one who creates all things. He has the master plan. He's the maker of this natural world, but he is the maker of all things. He is my maker. He made me. He made the purpose that I reach for in life. And then, and then I think about the Holy Spirit, that, that he's, he's my mentor. 
He's the one who walks with me in this life. Is Jesus here with us? He is, but he's not here in the natural, right? He said, I go to prepare a place for you. Are there times where we feel Jesus' presence? Sure, I think so. But in my day-to-day life, the person who's with me every moment is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I need to go so he can come, right? As great as Jesus was, if he's saying, I need to leave so the Holy Spirit can come, how much more should there be something inside of me that says, I want to walk with him every, every day? There is, the, there is the Father, there is, there is the, there's the Holy Spirit, and then, and then there's Jesus. He is the one who gave his life for me. He is the great reconciler. He gave his life so that I could be reconciled to God, so that the Spirit of God could live inside of me, and so that I could have the hope of heaven to come, but also so that I could have the hope of the heaven in the here and now. A life that is lived out to the fullest possible measure. I have a maker, I have a mentor, and I have a master. Jesus is the boss. He is the revealer of all truth. He governs my life. And as you leave here tonight, after we sing this song together, I hope that you can say, I have a maker, I have a master, and I have a mentor, and he is my God. And I want my life to be opened up all of the way to him, that he would fill me to overflowing, and that I would live my life with such a way that I would say, be it unto me according to your word. I want everything that you have for me in this life, God. I want every revelation. I want every experience. I want every encounter. I want to fulfill every purpose that you gave me breath to have in Jesus' name. Stand with me as we worship together. I was talking to somebody just recently and I was saying, you know, when I breathe my last and step into heaven, I don't want to get there well rested. We believe in rest, right? We don't want to get there wearied and fractured and broken. But, but I, I don't know about you, but when, when, when I breathe my last and get into heaven, I, I want to be a little bit fatigued from having given my life wholeheartedly to the purposes of God. Father, as we worship you in this moment, awaken something inside of someone here who came without it a desperate hunger and thirst for you to be used by you all the days of their life let's worship together